Hey, Skiff listeners. Hear about the latest trends in the travel industry with the brand USA Talks Travel Podcast. Right now, listen to special live from IPW interviews featuring U.S. Travel's Jeff Freeman. DMOs are at the heartbeat of U.S. Travel. Liz Bittner from Travel South. A lot of key gateway markets are back. L.A. Tourism's Adam Burke. We all win when we all partner together. Plus, brand USA's Stacey Melman and Jackie Ennis with international travel trends and Chris Thompson's farewell finale. I'm Mark Lapidus. Join us for brand USA Talks Travel on your favorite podcast platform. Brand USA Talks Travel. You're listening to the Skift Podcast. On our second episode exploring Skift's megatrends for 2024, Skift Editor-in-Chief Sarah Kopit is joined by Managing Editor Lex Harris, Airlines Editor and Reporter Gordon Smith, and Airline Weekly Senior Analyst Jay Shabbat to discuss our three most problematic megatrends. They cover the current uproar over junk fees, the continuing supply chain issues faced by the aviation sector, and the impacts of the burgeoning climate crisis on the business of travel. You can see all of Skift's megatrends for 2024 right now at skift.com megatrends. Enjoy the conversation. Each fall, as the new year approaches, the Skift editorial team gets together and talks about the big themes of the year to come. This is tens of thousands of hours of talking to you, people in the travel industry through the year, coming up with the stories, research reports, our events, etc., and then us connecting the dots across all of those headlines. Over a period of months, we boil them down, and eventually we get to this list that become our megatrends. Nature's wrath by way of climate change. The long-term opportunity that hotel groups have in appealing to the middle class. The role that travel can play in solving this crisis of loneliness that we're seeing. Corporate greed and junk fees. Is the travel industry ready for it? Has anybody thought about it? We are on a mission to help you make sense of the year to come. So here's our take on the travel sector, 2024 style. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of Skiff's Megatrend podcast series. I'm Sarah Kopit, Skiff's Editor-in-Chief, and I am here with a bunch of my colleagues today, and we are going to talk about a few of the megatrends. Um, I'm going to let you guys all say hello first. It's a special treat, somebody you don't get to hear from all that much on our podcast, Lex Harris, our Managing Editor. Lex, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thanks, Sarah. Happy to be here. You ready? Here. I'm yep. very Okay, ready. good. Good, good, good. We've also got Jay and Gordon who tell me they have just finished up yet another podcast for Skift. How are you both? You ready? You loose? Ready to We're go, doing well, Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> We've found time to squeeze you into our busy schedule. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So today we're going to talk about three of our three of our different megatrends. We're going to talk about junk fees. We're going to talk about the supply chain in the airline industry. And we're going to talk about extreme weather and climate change and all the different aspects that has um, to affect the travel industry. So all of these things kind of are these big, um, these big, huge issues that involve governments. They have involve operators, big companies, you know, they're kind of multifaceted, complicated problems. Um, and so the first one we're going to jump into is with Lex. He wrote our megatrend on junk fees. And um, 
You know, you probably heard me talking last week, for those of you who are following this series with Sean, about about what Wyndham had to say about junk fees. And I want to set this up by playing uh, what President Biden called out in his 2023 State of the Union speech about junk fees. One of the key things I've asked the council to tackle are the unfair fees known as junk fees, those hidden charges that companies sneak into your bill to make you pay more because they can, just simply because they can. Charges that are taking real money out of the pockets of American families. These junk fees can add up hundreds of dollars weighing down family budgets, making it harder to pay family bills. These junk fees may not matter to the wealthy, but they sure matter to working folks in homes like the one I grew up in. Two summers ago, if your flight was canceled or delayed, almost no major airline guaranteed anything other than costing you a fee to rebook that. Even if it was their fault, you had to pay a fee to rebook. Now, 10 airlines rebook for free. And I, I'm looking to get the law passed so none of them can. I all have to do that. And that, that's a win for consumers. So, Lex, why don't you give, why don't you give us a little setup here on, on what you think is going to happen uh, with junk fees in 2024 and what some of your reporting uh, showed as you were doing this trend? Sure. I'll give you just some of my arc on this. So I had heard Biden comment on junk fees back then, and it was before I started at Skiff. And I was just kind of like, really, is this our most important issue? And uh, but I'll tell you, as I started getting into it and getting into the economics of it, I'm I'm into it. Like I get it. It is bad business and it's bad economics. And the reason is it just blocks the free market. It's like you. It, and it, what Biden's getting at is we're tired of being played for suckers. It's annoying, but it's really about the fact that I don't know what something costs. So I can't make mm. the smart decision. And all of this has been building. It, and I, you know, I'm so scared to say this, but I'm gonna say it. This time is different. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I'm Tell me why. Get, I'm ready to get burned on this, but. Okay. Uh, you know, and I spoke to a bunch of people and everyone had the same idea, which is like, we're going from talk to action. And so it's one thing for the president to use the bully pulpit and say, you guys have to get in line. But what's happened over the past year and a half, and it's gone slowly, is the FTC is, has been, it's been grinding through the process. They actually are putting pen to paper, and there's going to be a rule. The Department of Transportation finally is going to have its rule. Um, and then third, it's already happened. California, which is a very obviously a very significant state and a significant player in this, has has signed into law and it will go into effect in July of this year, a crackdown on junk fees. So these three things together are truly going to, I think, and a yeah. lot of industry people think, force everyone to get into line in a more significant way than has been the case. Yeah, I remember during the pandemic, um, I was staying outside of the city and I would come in and I would stay at hotels and go to work. Um, and, you know, sometimes during the week. And I remember that was the first time I really kind of noticed 
junk fees and it was by way of resort fees. Cause you have to remember it was during the pandemic and granted there was all sorts of things that probably could have been put on a bill to support the hotel industry in that very difficult time. But I just remember like seeing the resort fee on the bill, like for 50 bucks, right? Everything was closed. Nothing was open. Like at all. It was, it was hard to even find a hotel that was open. Um, and I remember thinking like, Hmm, this is weird. Is this is it like how are they how are they doing this right? Because like there was no pool, there was no, there was nothing. There was nothing yeah. to do. You know, everything was closed. So I know. And part of it, and it's like what's so insidious about it is like first of all, it's got this like such a nice like who doesn't want to go to a resort? You know, resort <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but it's it like is a, it, and I was just gonna say, but it's so obnoxious, right? Because you're not using any of these things. <laughs> right. And if you knew and if you had a choice, and I think that's that's the whole point, right? So you talked about how you think that like now is the time for, for real action. How how do you think that the businesses themselves, like the, the, the big hotel company or the small hotel companies, any of them, did you, do you see any effect for them, like real, a real implication um, for what's going to happen once these fees go away? Have they talked about that at all? Yes. Yeah, so if you if you talk to the hotel companies, the industry, what they'll tell you is we already do this. Like we are already in compliance for the most part. And, you know, it's tough to like pick through and see which is spin and which isn't. But the general idea is that the very large hotel chains that, that are crossing all, you know, or that are present in all 50 states, that they largely, if you go to their app, largely because a lot of them have been sued, by the way, and now they like <laughs> signed settlements. Many of them are already have already adopted, you know, much better practices. The issue comes into the one of the issues is that you can buy a you can book a hotel room on so many different places. So it's like whether you're on the hotel's direct app, if you're on on an OTA. Uh, wherever you might be. So a lot of why this is good economics and what you'll hear about and what you'll hear about from the industry is they actually want a unified standard because it's not good for anybody if if prices are looking look different just by depending on what Google happened to bring you to on that particular day. So yeah. a unified standard so you can make a, a legit comparison is is what the industry is arguing for or say they're arguing for. If you speak to a consumer <laughs> advocate, they're going to say it's BS, but that's yeah. where it seems to be going. Yeah. So one last question on the junk fees. Um, a big narrative in the hospitality industry for the past, I don't know, year or so is this debate or this uh, tension between hotels and short-term rentals. Um, what are, give me your thoughts on how you think the elimination of junk fees will either help or hurt short-term rentals or won't make any effect at all. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different factors at play, but the fact that pricing will be more, or I should say the way pricing is displayed will be more uniform. Um, I'm not sure who exactly it's going to benefit, but what it will do is make, uh, will put, will put consumers in a better position to make smart choices about which which direction they're going to go. So in other words, 
Yeah. Uh, you're not going to think you're signing up for a cheaper short-term rental and then find out because of cleaning fees that it's more expensive than the comparable hotel room. Yeah, got it. Very interesting. So we'll have another podcast sometime in this year, and I'm going to hold your feet to the fire and see if see if you were right. You know, <laughs> okay, with, with your with, with your call. All right. So, all right, Jay Gordon. Let's talk about the supply chain. So. This is, uh, you know, we called this one uh, the supply chain nightmares that are going to haunt the airlines. So what's going on? Ever since the pandemic, we've been hearing about the uh, supply chain and how it's causing all these problems. But here we are. It's 2024. We think it's it's still happening. Yeah, maybe I could say a few things and then Gordon, feel free to chime in at any moment. But uh, yeah, so just just very broadly and generally speaking, airlines coming out of the pandemic have faced this very serious problem getting airplanes, having enough labor, uh, you know, having uh, the ability to fly enough flights because there's an air traffic controller shortage. So all these kind of supply side uh, disruptions and challenges and shortcomings. And some of these have improved for sure. I think airlines will tell you that there's no longer as acute of a pilot shortage, for example, as there was maybe a year, year and a half ago. But then in other respects, some of the problems are getting worse. Now we all know what's going on with this, you know, Boeing Max plane and uh, how that's, you know, this Max 9, which is one of the other uh, products that Boeing, very popular airplane that's been taken out of service temporarily. So that's another disruption to add to all the others. There's a particular aircraft engine type that's going through some very difficult issues and recalls, and uh, that's disrupting a lot of uh, a lot of airlines. So yeah, bottom line, it's it's become a, a very big problem now. As I've said on some other in some other discussions, including a podcast that we just recorded earlier today, uh, in one respect, all of these supply side disruptions are actually a positive thing for airlines now. That may be a slightly controversial. Say more. Yeah. yeah say more about that. <laughs> right. And and I think in the megatrends discussion, we we talked about this, but the the whole idea, you know, when you're when there's not enough seats to accommodate demand, well, economics 101, what happens to prices, in this case airfares, you're gonna have upward pressure. And that's in fact what we've seen over the past year or so in the airline industry. So that's actually helped collectively, airlines to earn perhaps higher profits than they would have if not for these spy side disruptions. So, you know, it's not something any airline executive will tell you that they welcome or that they're celebrating, but you can't ignore that fact that it's, I, I think, I think it's, you know, it's, you can't dispute that when you have a supply that's constrained, that, that it's going to have an impact on prices. So. Right. And and prices have gone up this year or are going up this year? Well, it depends on, on the time period that you're talking about. And of course, prices, yeah. so prices are actually down year over year, but that also has to do with, you know, fuel costs are lower. So there's, you know, there, there's, uh, there are different reasons why prices move around. But I think it's fair to say that if there was more supply in the market, if these supply constraints that we're talking about didn't exist, then sure, yeah. prices would be, would be lower in many markets, for sure. 
Hey, it's Neff listeners. Hear about the latest trends in the travel industry with the Brand USA Talks Travel Podcast. Right now, listen to special live from IPW interviews featuring U.S. Travel's Jeff Freeman. DMOs are at the heartbeat of U.S. Travel. Liz Bittner from Travel South. A lot of key gateway markets are back. L.A. Tourism's Adam Burke. We all win when we all partner together. Plus, Brand USA's Stacey Melman and Jackie Ennis with international travel trends and Chris Thompson's farewell finale. I'm Mark Flapitas. Join us for Brand USA Talks Travel on your favorite podcast platform. Brand USA Talks Travel. Gordon, what are you seeing? It, Gordon is uh, coming to us from EMEA. What are you seeing there? Is it is it a similar, uh, a similar, I guess, as uh, in the United States and other places? You know, we hear about the term ecosystem and the supply chain so, so often. And it almost gets used to the point whereby we sort of ignore what that actually means. And what that does mean in practical terms is that so many different companies, industries, sectors rely on other sectors. It sounds obvious, but we forget that. And all it needs is one weak link in the chain and the whole thing starts to really come under serious pressure. So what we have seen in the aviation industry recently, and the the heads of Airbus and Boeing and and other big companies have said this, is you know we can get 90% of our production line in order. But if we've got one supplier or one subcontractor that has got issues, this thing does not come together. It's not done until it's done. And this is creating serious headaches. I I was at the uh, Aircraft Interior show in Hamburg last year, um, and they were saying, the guys that are designing seats, they're designing interiors for for aircraft. And some of these first-class products, premium products, are really intricate pieces of technology. And they are so frustrated, or at least they were, when I was speaking to them last year, because they will have 98% of the product ready to go, ready to deliver to the customer. And it will be a microchip, the size of your thumbnail Mm. that has not arrived and is not going to arrive. And it's just the entire timeline falls apart. Um, It's incredibly frustrating. There's no easy fixes. And I think it was even up, correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, I think it was Iberia, the Spanish national airline. uh, They actually put aircraft uh, seats in that weren't quite ready yet with all of the IFE, all of the in-flight entertainment system, uh, because it wasn't ready, but they, they just needed to get that plane in the sky and they retrofitted it at a later date. So really, really choppy. No, no airline executive wants that. Um, and just another quick point on supply chain. There are fewer manufacturers than there used to be a decade ago or two decades ago. So mergers and acquisitions, that's natural course of business, but there is less competition out there. So if you are looking around, supplier A hasn't got anything, how about supplier B? There's fewer options for you, which is making things very, very challenging. Which part of the supply chain do you think is the weakest right now, where there's the most problems? And because we, you know, we talked about all these different types of issues from, you know, the FAA to the parts and the pilots and the, you know, it's just across the board. There's a shortage of everything. That was pretty much the entire thesis of our megatrend. But is there one particular part that is causing airlines kind of the most struggle because it's the most difficult to kind of get the supply chain back in, back in on track? For sure. It's the narrow body aircraft. So these single aisle aircraft that are kind of the staple of the skies, they're you know, the most common type, uh, that's where, you know, air traffic controller shortages are an issue if you're flying between New York and Florida and perhaps more, you know, broad than that, but, but it is somewhat geographic specific, uh, whereas aircraft supply chain problems are 
pretty much you know universal throughout the globe. There, there's no airline unaffected by it. So, I mean, that would be probably the answer to your question. And you know, going to back to Gordon's last point about consolidation, as we all know, there's really just two aircraft manufacturers in the world, Boeing and Airbus. So, and they both have a lot of the same issues in terms of yeah. getting planes on time. Boeing, you know, has some of their problems are a little worse, but uh, you know, there's you can't just if you've got a problem with Boeing, you can't just pick up the phone and say, "Hey, give me," you know, Airbus, give me. You know, let me let me give all my business to you because you know if you want one of those narrow body airplanes I just talked about, Airbus won't be able to get you one for another five six years. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a problem kind of all around. It's yeah. it's an interesting one, Jay. You know, so much attention is on new aircraft deliveries. Um, you know, that's the big ticket. That's the blockbuster headline that we all like to see. But the bread and butter of an average airline's fleet, be it a huge airline or something more modest is aircraft that are maybe 10 years old, 15 years old, and will get you from A to B. And you know they're not particularly sexy, but they do the job. These aircraft still need to be maintained, and even more so as they get a little bit older. And I was speaking to somebody very senior at major aircraft lessor just last week, and he has aircraft that are sitting on the ground, and they have been for almost 12 months because they can't get the parts to get these aircraft back in the air. They would have customers, airline customers, saying, yeah, we'll take that for you. You can get that flying this summer. Great. And they're not going to be able to, to get this plane in the air because of the supply chain issues. So it really does trickle down to all parts of the of the sector. And has it got better? Yes, but from a very, very low post-pandemic start. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be resolved fully. Uh, I, I dare not put a date on it. Jay, maybe you're a little bit more, more bullish <laughs> than actually, I am on this. Yeah, that was actually my next question. If you had to guess, <laughs> when is the supply chain going to be back operating normally? Like how many years out are we from that? Well, yeah, July 23rd, 2026. There we uh, go. <laughs> I, I, I uh, would venture to just broadly say years, not months. Yeah. Uh, Jay, sure, I'll, I'll take that. Um, you're a, you're a braver man than I am. What I would say, Sarah, is that there's always supply chain headaches in every industry, in every corner of every business. That's just part of doing normal business, navigating that. That, But what we're seeing right now is exceptional, and it cannot become yeah. the new normal, to borrow a, a pandemic phrase. If it does, then this industry, which is already pretty fragile at the best of times, is, is really, yeah. really not going to do well. All right. So speaking of big, hairy problems and fragile ecosystems, let's talk about climate. That is, uh, it's, it's one of the themes that kind of runs through every single sector, really, of human life. But in the travel industry, you know, where the planet is kind of the product uh, more than most. So we t in, in just kind of piggybacking on the airlines for a minute, we talk a lot about SAF and, you know, sustainable airline fuel. Um, in the travel industry and kind of the hope that that will um, be a, a kind of a bright spot for the airlines when it comes to dealing with climate change, the climate crisis, where, you know, where do you, where do you guys see that going in 2024? Yeah. So with sustainable aviation fuels, that is kind of seen as the, uh, you know, as, a, as an opportunity or, or sort of the best uh, option for abating Climate emission, you know, climate damaging emissions yeah. in the airline sector over the next, you know, let's call it near term, whatever those next, you know, few years before any 
kind of radical new technology or, you know, whether it be hydrogen or some, you know, new, new plane design or whatever, that's, that's more long, long term. So this SAF uh, option is, uh, you know, perhaps uh, helpful, but there are two gigantic problems. One is cost and two is quantity. So yeah, sustainable aviation fuel uh, operationally works fine. It's, uh, you know, it's, you can, you don't have to change anything about the aircraft or it's, uh, there's nothing radical you have to do operationally to use this thing, but it's a lot more expensive than, you know, the typical jet fuel that you derive from crude oil. And then quantity wise, yeah, you just, there's just not enough of it to go around. I mean, you know, very, very, very little relative to the industry's overall needs. Now we're hoping that changes in the next couple of years. There have been a lot of government incentives, including here in the U.S., also in Europe, to try to stimulate more production. And I think a lot more will come online. But it's going to take, you know, here also we're talking in years, not months. Right. Right. I'm a data guy, Sarah. Can I give you some numbers? Absolutely. Let's go for it. Uh, Worldwide, sustainable aviation fuel makes up just 0.1% of all current airlines' fuel needs. Um, And we we should just add that SAF, sustainable aviation fuel, it's a bit of an umbrella term, which is used by the aviation industry to describe any sort of non-conventional, non-fossil-derived aviation fuel. So it covers a few different sort of subgroups, if you like, but um, just 0.1% currently so we are starting from a really, really low base here in 2024. Uh, progress is being made, but it's just it just feels so microscopic right now. It's almost like it, you don't really know where we can go from here because it's just such a standing star. It feels like it. Carsten Spohr, who is the uh, group CEO of Lufthansa, the German airline, and mm-hmm. he also runs um, or oversees lots of other European airlines that are part of the, the bigger Lufthansa group, Swiss, Brussels, uh, Austria now. So he's, he's got a lot of clout. He said, he, he's a bit of a cynic on SAF. He said half of all of Germany's electricity would be needed for Lufthansa to go 100% SAF tomorrow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and be- bearing yeah. in mind that Germany is an economic powerhouse, an industrial powerhouse, they're making cars and all sorts of things. So for half of all of that country's energy to be diverted towards uh, just powering Lufthansa's needs, uh, he, he, he wasn't best pleased, shall we say, um, some yeah. other numbers for you about where we are now, 2024, and where governments think we could be or should be. Uh, the EU, for its part, targets 2% usage by 2025, rising to 6% usage by 2030, then 20% in 2035, and then uh, they're aiming for 70%, 70 by 2050. So that's the sort of time scale that we're looking at. Probably the most at this point that an airline can do to cut their carbon emissions is replace older planes with newer planes that have more efficient engines. There are some interesting things things happening, you know, in the very short haul aviation space, air taxis and things like that, where you can perhaps run them electric, you know, run electric aircraft up that are, you know, economic more or less. But we're apparently, I'm not an engineer, but apparently very, very far from operating you know, an electric plane between New York and London. That's just, you know, the battery would have to just be so heavy and giant. It's from what I understand. My dad is an engineer and he tells me that's, uh, you know, we're very, very far from that. So we, a lot of people say that 
you know, aviation is a is what I've heard the term, you know, hard to abate sector. It's one of, it's one of the hardest sectors to to really cut emissions. Um, it's there, there are really no good answers. Now the industry says that uh, you know their goal is to go you know net zero carbon emissions by 2050. But at this point, frankly, I don't know if Gordon you have an opinion other than this, but it sounds a little bit just kind of more like a slogan than anything else at this point. Well, yeah, there were some really great comments from uh, Stephen Udvar-Hasi, who's the executive chairman at Air Lease Corporation. He was speaking at the Skift Aviation Forum late last year. So another uh, buzz phrase is sustainable aviation fuel and, and yeah. SAF. And we had a Skift conference last month, spoke to David Nealman on stage about this very topic, and he did not hold back. He thinks it's all a, a farce. There isn't enough of it. It's not worth it. It's Where not are a you farce, on but it's, it's, it's a supply limitation. There's not a single SAF producer right now in Latin America. So, and then how do you get the stuff to the airport? How do you, <clears throat> how do you get it so it's economical? Right now, there's such a gap between jet, uh, jet A kerosene and, and SAF. A lot of governments will subsidize it, so the taxpayer will actually be funding part of that. But how do you ramp that up to levels uh, that are meaningful? Even 10% is, is pretty hard to reach. Udvar Hasi, a bit of an industry legend, veteran, call him what you will. When he talks, people generally listen. Um, he is not alone. Yeah, we, we, we heard from the Lufthansa Group CEO, Michael Leary from Reiner. He was on record as saying, there frankly isn't enough cooking oil in the world to power even one day of green aviation. Um, and, you know, there's, there's quips and there's sound bites and, you know, these are big personalities. But at the end of the day, this is a problem that the industry needs to address. And... As other industries start to clean their act up, more and more focus is going to be on aviation, commercial aviation in particular. And as much as we all love to fly, going on vacation, visiting friends, family, there's going to become a sort of critical tipping point. And I don't think we're quite there yet in 2024, but it's coming. The industry knows it's coming, and there's going to be a lag between the technology not having caught up yet and society demanding more change. It's... Uh, it, it, it's a tricky one. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly what our third megatrend that we're talking about today really focused on was that, you know, the tipping point, it's going to be a little bit different for each industry, but climate affects everything across the board. And each industry is going to come to come to a place where they have to deal with the change that is already here. It's not it's not the future anymore. It is, it is here. You know, we, we talk a lot about how, you know, some of the experience providers in the sector, you know, they've had to really change their plans about what they, where they take tours and where they take vacationers in the summer, especially like where you are, Gordon, in Europe, because it was just too hot in August. I think we've all, J July and August, we've all seen that, you know, the pictures of maybe Italian tourists or Spanish tourists who are, were just, kind of sweltering in the heat, especially in a, in a region that isn't known for, you know, having much air conditioning. So, um, you know, people have to go other places and what does that do to economies and travel ecosystems? Um, it's a, you know, we're, we're, we're the, in 2024 for many of our, um, colleagues in, in the, each branch of the travel space, like we're kind of there for for climate change and extreme weather and what that's doing. So, 
Yeah, it, it was fascinating. I was speaking to a to, to an aviation leader fairly recently, and she suggested that it's not too unthinkable that Southern Europe will have a second slump in the, what is now considered the peak summer season. So you, know, you go mm-hmm. to the south of Spain, you go to the south of Italy. Like you said, Sarah, it's too hot on some weeks of July, August, and it's, it's unpredictable. There's that heat wave and it will tear up into 90 degrees, 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's not fun. You're meant to be on vacation, especially yeah. if you're roaming the streets of, of an Italian city or a, or a Spanish town, to the point whereby if this starts to become normalized, people will stop going in July and August and they will say, hey, April's far nicer. And will that yeah. then start to trickle down into travel trends? Will hotels be quiet in July and August? Will airlines not have as many passengers coming into these traditional hotspots um, in, in what we consider currently to be the, the absolute peak of the summer? It's a big travel trend um, and one which that particular uh, aviation leader says is very much on her radar. Yeah, I was um, last summer. I was in Mexico in August, and where I got into the pool one day, and it was. I kind of thought I was. I'm like, am I in the wrong place? Like, am I in the hot tub? Like, it wasn't cool when you walked in at all. It, it was. <laughs> it was hot, and and I was thinking, are the, I wonder if um, places like Mexico that haven't traditionally had pool like cooling agents, like maybe they do in the Middle East, right, to pour to put cold water in to keep it cool like if if that's something that you know the hotels or other sorts of recreational um facilities are going to have to start thinking about like retrofitting their um recreational water bodies to make them cool it was it was actually about the same time that we made headlines here in the united states where i think florida in um the state of florida on the beaches the water was over 100 degrees fahrenheit which is too hot like that is that's too hot to swim so that's bad. That's, that, that, that is, that's beyond bathtub water, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it is. So we've got a whole bunch of issues going on with extreme weather and climate change, but we've also got a lot of solutions and really interesting uh, development progress research going on in this space. Gordon, why don't you tell us a little bit about what is happening in the airline industry? Yeah, it's easy, Sarah, to to feel really gloomy about the prospects, especially when we've discussed the the anemic numbers with sustainable aviation fuel. But there is a lot happening behind the scenes, and it feels very abstract just now because it's just a PowerPoint presentation, or it might be a prototype design in some some wacky laboratory somewhere. But all we need is for one or maybe two of these currently crazy concepts to actually break through. And we could be on the verge of something really exciting, which which could help. Um, rest assured, even though you don't see it day to day at the airport currently, there is a lot going on behind the scenes at a lot of levels, from startups right through to the big firms. the The progress is being made. It just doesn't always feel like it, but it it, it is there. The scientists are hard at work. That's they are. They the are. on this one. Yep. <laughs> and and you know, there's business opportunities to, to be had as well. You know, we, we've got a lot of very small companies. Some of them are already being um, snapped up, or shares being uh, bought, equity investments being uh, acquired from from much larger firms. This is going to take a, a team effort. It's going to take the crazy small companies and the big guys all coming together. It's going to take regulation. It's going to take governance, but. Um, there will be some, frankly, there'll be money to be made for those that 
can latch on and can identify those technologies that will get us through to that next stage to where we where we need to be for those 2050 targets and beyond. Gordon, Lex, Jay, thank you so much for joining us today for sharing your views on what's to come in 2024. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week with episode three. This has been the Skift Podcast. Thank you for listening.